on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's what I might think. Talmud Lomar, so the verse says, Bayamahu, on that day. That's wrong. Now what is there in the words on that day which proves the suggestion is wrong? How do the words on that day tell me the suggestion we were just considering is wrong? I want the words on that day. I'm not asking for our, uh, our uh, uh, way of thinking that is wrong. I want to know that the Agoda says you might have thought to start at the beginning of Nisan. Why? Because that's what Moses started telling them about the process. That's wrong. Why is it wrong? Because the verse that tells you to recite the story to your son says on that day. Well, on that day? So the idea of starting at the beginning of, of Nisan is wrong. How do the words on that day cancel out this thought that I could have started on the beginning of at the beginning of Nisa. I'm sorry? No. On this day? You should say on this day. <laughs> See, that and this don't make, make a difference in Hebrew. Uh, no, 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 make a difference. Yeah? Or maybe because uh, it says you might think that the, the obligation to, to discuss it would start on that day Excellent. and then continue on and then you'd say what happened on this day and what happened on that day. It says on that day. So you have to pick one day right. and tell what happened on that day. That's the way you think with, with, uh, with Talmudic logic. On that day means there's one day. There's only one day in which you can do this. Suggestion we had was starting with the beginning of, of the month of Nisan, you have the whole period. That can't be right. It can't be a right picture because the verse is telling you there's only one day in which you can do it. Okay? You with me so far? That knocks out the first suggestion. Okay, the second suggestion is you could do it while it's still daytime. While it's still daytime on what day? You know better than that. The truth is the night of the fifteenth, right? We're moving up to it. The answer is that not while it's still day, it's wait till nightfall. So it's the, the daytime of the fourteenth. Now why? I'm, I'm working with a, a verse. The verse says on that day. So we we pledge allegiance. Oh yes, on that day it's going to be a designated day. One day. It's going to be different from every other day, and that would be the day to do it. Why would the fourteenth of Nisan be? The designated day to do it, yeah? Because <coughs> it says at the end that you should you should tell your son applies only when you're maximizing. I'm in the middle stage. You're in stage three. I'm in stage two. I'm only on the stage which says Yochomi Ba Odyom. I might have thought you could tell it in the afternoon of the fourteenth. Right? I want to know why. Why would I have thought that the afternoon of the fourteenth is an appropriate time? After all, I already have Bayomobu on that day so I know there's one day that's different from all other days and that day is going to be the designated day to do it and I've got to say maybe that day the one day could be the 14th in the afternoon why would the 14th in the afternoon be the one day that you could do it what's special about the 14th in the afternoon tell us oh I think I'm wrong so oh, okay. I was going to say otherwise it would say like Halila no, but you don't know which day right. I, it's, we've moved up to the 14th what's special about the 14th a carbon Pesach that's the sacrifice. That's the first official performance of the whole Seder. Offering the Pesco sacrifice. So, the next natural thought, says I go to, is, when are we going to tell a story? Well, when I slaughter the animal and my son asks me, what are you doing? It's a different sacrifice. It has different rules and different applications from all the other sacrifices. He's going to ask me what I'm doing. I'm going to go, oh, I'll tell you why. Because we were in Egypt. We'll tell the whole story. That's a reasonable time to do it. That's once a year. It's only one day. It's the 14th in the afternoon. 
Right? So that's why the middle stage is Yochol. It was Yochol. You might have thought you could do it when it's still daytime. No. Talmud Lomar, now watch this move. Talmud Lomar, Bible is there. The verse goes on to say, when you explain the story to your son, you use the words Bab Rizet for the sake of this God took me out of Egypt. Now the word this is a demonstrative. You can only say this about something that's in front of you. For the sake of this. So the Haggadah says, when the verse uses the words for the sake of this, it must be at a time when the Matzah and the murder and the Paschal Sacrifice that we had it is placed in front of you. So you can point and say for the sake of this. That's how I know it has to be at night. You with me? You shouldn't be. There isn't any obvious logic here at all. I have to be able to point. It has to be munachim lefanech. It has to be sitting in front of me, right? So I can point and say, for the sake of this. Couldn't I do that when? The afternoon or Couldn't I do that in the afternoon? Couldn't I put the matzah of the mortar on the table in the afternoon? How can the words, for the sake of this, which mean that at the point of the Matsumar, how can they prove it? It has to be at night. Now, if you ask this at the Seder that you go to, you'll get five stars. This is a terrific question. There's no obvious logic here. For the sake of this, when it's in front of you on the table, put it in front of you on the table an hour before sunset and go through the whole story. What's stopping you? Just because it says for the sake of this? You understand the question? Now the answer requires just one step deeper. Let's see. For the sake of this, God took me out of Egypt. Not this on the table. I point to Amatis and I say, for the sake of this, God took me out of Egypt. What is this? Think philosophically now. What is the this? I'm pointing to the masses. What is the this that God took me out for? Crackers? That there should be cracker factories starting from Hanukkah and making crackers round the clock, you know, 24 hours a day and shipping them all over the world? God took us out of Egypt so that the Jewish people shall supply crackers? Is that why he took us out? What am I pointing to when I point to the masses? I point you to crackers. I point you to the mitzvah of eating them. I point you to the mitzvah. Not to the physical crackers. God didn't take us out for the sake of there being physical crackers in the world. God took us out for the sake of our celebrating by doing the mitzvah of the life. So I've got to point to the mitzvah. You can't point to the mitzvah on the 14th. There is no mitzvah on the 14th. The mitzvah of eating the matzah is only at night. But Erev Toku Matzah is an explicit verse. You'll eat the matzahs at night. <coughs> so that being the case, since I'm pointing to the mitzvah, that's only at night. That's built into the understanding here. When it says the words Ba'avurzeb, it's thinking this, means that it's only at night. Because it has to be a time when the matzah and mora are placed before you. It doesn't mean the physical matzah and mora. It means that the mitzvah is in front of you. And you point to them and say, I have the mitzvah to eat it. And that's only at night. You with me? Okay, it's just a little hint of what the way Chazal writes with, with logic and precision and with analysis and with thought. Okay. Mitchila Originally, our ancestors were out of worship. 
And now, Amokom, we spoke about that. God means the place of the world, the ground of the place of the world. The world is close to the surface. Now I want you to know that there, the Haggadah here is facing a disagreement in the Gemara and is coming out on both sides. The Mishnah in the set of Sachim says, when you recite the Haggadah, Matzchilin Begnus Masayimim B'Shevach. You start with the degradation of the Jewish people and you end with the praise of the Jewish people. Rabbi Shmuel disagree. What is this degradation that you start with? And what is the praise that you end with? One says the degradation is having been slaves and the praise is because God gave us our freedom. The other says the degradation is that our ancestors worshipped idols and the praise is that God gave us the Torah. That's the difference between Rabbi Shmuel, what the Mishnah means, and we, since there's no reason not to, we put them both in. We put them both in. We said about him before, that we were slaves and God took us out, and now we're saying the other way. Originally, our ancestors worshipped idols, and now, because we're brought us close to the to surface. Question is, what is the nature of this machlekes? What is the nature of the difference? We already said what we're commemorating on the night of the 15th of Nisan is the transition between slavery and freedom. That's what happened on that night. So the one who says you start with slavery and you end up with freedom, of course, you can do no less than that. That's what happened that night. That's what the, 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 the event was about. What is the thought of the one who wants to go all the way back to our farther remote ancestors that as we'll see in the verse of Yeshua the apostle goes back to Terach Abraham's father and then push forward to receiving the Torah at Sinai if you thought you know that history when you study history context is very important you can't study an event in its own setting you've got to know where it came from and where it led, what it led to only in, if you see the connections of the event can you understand the event. So maybe that authority is telling us don't focus too narrowly. Don't focus only in going from slavery to freedom. You have to know where it came from. You have to know where it's going. That's a reasonable, that's a reasonable observation. It's a reasonable gesture, I might say. But now you need to know where to cut off. Okay, they say go back to Terah, Abraham's father. Why not going back to Noah? Noah started the whole of the present population of the world. Right? So, he's, his three children and he himself are the father of the, of the entire population. Wouldn't you learn more? Wouldn't you understand more if you went all the way back to Noah? And, by the way, you know, if you get more out of going back to Noah, why not go back to Adam? And if you're going forward to receiving the Torah at Sinai, why not continue going forward to building the tabernacle where God's presence dwelled among us and go even further forward to taking the land of Israel? Aren't they also consequences of the exodus from Egypt? Aren't they important? Don't they shed light on the understanding of the exodus from Egypt? It can't just be a general feeling. Filling it in more context, context increases your understanding. Because if the feeling is filling in the context increases your understanding, there's no motivated way to know where to stop. How far back should I go? How far forward should I go? The one who says you must start with I worship and go to the um, receive the Torah at Sinai 
must be saying more than that. What he must be saying is that this piece of context is crucial. Without this piece of context, you're not going to understand at all. Yes, if you build in more context, you get better understanding. He burns it quite right. But this is necessary because without this piece of context, you don't understand at all. What could motivate an idea like that? If you don't have this piece of context, you don't understand at all. Now, I told you the answer last night. Those of you who were here, I didn't say it in these terms. I didn't say it was the answer to this question. What I said last night could be used to answer this question today. If anybody can do it. Repeat the question. I'll try to do it short. (laughs) Yeah. What is the reason why one authority (coughs) says you must fill in our ancestors were idol worshippers and God took us close to his, to his service. Not further back and not farther forward. Just that context. That context is crucial. Without that context, you don't understand <coughs> the transition from slavery to freedom. Because it says in the end of the Shema that God took us out so he could be our God. The reason we were taken out is to serve him. So therefore, you have to see that we were our ancestors were idol worshippers and then we took us out, and then we served him through the Torah. That's good for you. The transition from idol worship to serve God's service is the reason why he took us out. <coughs> if you don't have that, you don't understand what the reason was and what the significance was. We said last night, freedom is not intrinsically valuable. Freedom isn't a good unto itself. Freedom is a means by which you can do other things that are valuable. And just as he said, he quoted the last verse in the, in the Shema, I am a shame of God who took you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. That's why I took you out. I took you out for that purpose. That was my only commitment to doing it. My only purpose in doing it. So if you don't appreciate that going from slavery to freedom was a part of a larger transition from idol worship to serving God, you don't understand why it happened and therefore you don't understand its purpose. And that's why he says if you don't fill that in, you aren't getting it. Okay? Sort of like seeing a doctor um, inoculate a child against um, polio or some other disease, right? And you think he's torturing him with a needle. Right? Why do you think he's torturing him with a needle? Because you don't know the antecedent, you don't know the consequence. You don't know what this is designed to present to prevent. You don't know what will happen if it doesn't happen. Without that, you don't understand what you're seeing. Right? Once you understand it, it immunizes him against polio. Well, now we have pills once upon a time with, with me. Um, then you know what it's for. Then you understand. Could you learn more out of general medical research? You certainly could. But at least you know what it's for. You're not going to identify correctly its, it's, it's identity. Okay. Now let's see the verse. From Yeshua. Yeshua said to the whole people, Thus says Hashem, the God of Israel, the other side of the river your ancestors lived from time immemorial. Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. <coughs> they served other gods. Who's they? <laughs> Uh, okay, that's the natural thought. Two out of the three. Terach and Nachar. I want you to know that Maimonides says that Abraham came to his appreciation of God when he was 48. 
and that he offered sacrifices to, to, to idols himself with his own hands. And he only came to the truth when he was 48. Okay, the Kesavishta says there's another gear in the Rambam that says 40. Still, we're talking about mature adults. We're not talking about a three-year-old. There is a Midrash that says he was very young. Good, the Rambam's not going with that Midrash. And the Rambam, this verse is gold. All of them served idols. Including Abraham. Yeah. <coughs> why do we have to like mention Nachos? Good. And why do we have to mention the whole right? Uh, very good. Let's go on. But that's that's a good question. What is Joshua doing here? Sort of casting a general is telling the people where they came from, what do I care about Nachar for? You know, the great 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 uncle. And I took your father, Abraham, from the other side of the of the river <coughs> and I caused him to walk through, I led it through the whole of the land of Canaan, and I increased his descendants, and I gave him Isaac. And I gave Isaac, gave to Isaac, Jacob and Esau, and now your question comes marching back in, who cares about Esau? And I gave Esau the mount of Seir to inherit it, who cares about that? Jacob, and his children went down to Egypt. Joshua, and then he goes on to discuss what happened in Egypt and all the rest. What is all this extra stuff here for? What do I care that he came from, from Terah? What do I care about Nachah? What do I care about Esau? His inheritance. There's a lot of deep, deep ideas here, but on the surface, uh, it's very important to remember that God is the creator of the whole universe. There are people who speak of the Jewish God. That's very dangerous. There is only one God. And he's the God of the Nigerians. And he's the God of the Chinese. And he's the God of the Christians, though they don't know it. And he's the God of the Muslims, though they don't know it. He's the one, only God. And he runs everything. It was the ancient idol worshippers and polytheists who thought that each god has a sort of local sphere of influence and it's a local group that he's in, uh, connected to and other groups have other gods and everybody has his own thing. So it's important to know that God was running the life of Terach and Nahor and Abraham, Nahor who got continued on with idol worship and God gave Isaac two sons, Esau and, and Jacob and Esau got his inheritance because God engineered it for him because that's where he belongs. And Jacob and his children went down to Egypt. God's running the whole story. Not just our history. I want you to know a little bit. Terach is an amazing person. Do you know the entire Jewish people comes from Terach? The men and the women. They're all his descendants. Terach is the great granddaddy of the whole Jewish people. Not only that, I'm telling you something what you heard from one of my great teachers, Moshe Meisner, many years ago. Not only that, when Abraham stood up for God in uh, Mesopotamia, Murkasti, and the king attacked him, this we have a Midrash, and he resisted, Terach at first sided with the king and with the local culture, polytheistic culture. But he saw that Abraham was saved from the danger by a miracle and he changed his mind. The other people, they didn't change their minds. They didn't become uh, monotheists. 
But he changed his mind. And it says in the Torah that Terah set out from Urkazdi to go to the land of Canaan. And he took Abraham with him. Okay, the verse is difficult there. I'm, just, I'm, I'm not going to all the details now. Terah set out. Now, he made it to Haran. Haran is 80% of the way from Urkazdi to the land of Israel. He was coming to the land of Israel because he knew it was special. Even in those days, he knew it was special. But he didn't make it. Terach had the right gesture. He had the right understanding. He just didn't make it. He didn't make it the whole way. So Terach is a, an interesting figure. And we have sources, based on a Duke and Apostle, in sources that say that Terach did Shuba before he died and died at Tadi. Because it says that Abraham will be gathered to his people. That means his soul will be gathered to his, to his people who are his predecessors. If Terach wasn't a, a monotheist, he wouldn't say he was gathered to his people. Would be his people. So Terach did Shuba and died complete. So Terach is a, is, a, is a person who himself embodies the transition. Abraham made the transition before Terach did. Abraham grew out of Terach and, you know, initiated the transition and it was Abraham's example that drew, drew Terach on. But Terach deserves a great, uh, a great amount of credit. Okay, now, um, notice also the juxtaposition. Esau goes to Mount Seir and gets it as an inheritance. Right away. While he's alive, he takes up residence there and he runs it. It's his kingdom. Jacob and his children go down to Egypt and in Egypt they are at first the nobility the family of the second command and then they descend into slavery so when you look at it it looks like Esau got a good deal and uh, Jacob and his family got a very difficult deal and the point of it is to show you that the, what happened to Jacob and his children was an investment in an enormously glorious future which took a long time to bear fruit What does it mean, I took your father and led him through all the land of Canaan? What's that for? What does that, what does that mean? <coughs> the answer, said the commentators here, is this. When you transfer land, how, how does a person acquire a piece of land? Well, you know, if you, if you have a book, and I sell you a book, so I, I pick up the book, and I take possession of it. I'm going to do with a piece of land. So one way to do it is to get a stock. You get a, a, a document. The owner of the field gives the document to the purchaser. Now he has a document which proves that he's the owner. That's how he takes ownership. That's one way to do it. One way to do it is through money. You pay for it. If you pay for it, the land becomes yours. Well, God didn't give Abraham a document. And Abraham didn't pay God for the land. There's a third way called Chazaka. Chazaka means demonstrating your ownership through some physical interaction with the field. There's a variety of such interactions that the, that the Gemara discusses. You're learning Babavasya, some of you, so you have some of that in there. One way is to simply walk through the whole field. So God took Abraham through the land of Israel. That was his act of possession of the land of Israel. Now, Okay, I'll do that.
Right. Forward. Blessed is he who keeps his pledge to Israel. Notice present tense, not past tense. Keeps. Blessed is he. For the blood of the Holy Blessed be he calculated the end. I must tell you, the English here puts in extra words. So far, they seem to be correct. But I'm just going to translate literally. Yes, it's the end of the bond. That's what he means. But let's see. Calculated the, calculated the end. To do according to what he said to Abraham, my father, in the covenant between the pieces. As it said, he, God, said to Abraham, you should know of a certainty that your descendants will be strangers in a land that doesn't belong to them and they shall serve them here the grammar is a little difficult they meaning your descendants shall serve them the people running the land and they shall oppress them now switch the days and the people of the land will oppress your descendants 400 years how many years were we in the land of Egypt? 210 boys and girls what is going on here the verse says 400 and we know it was 210 now watch this this verse is three way ambiguous you can read it in three different ways what it says is your descendants shall be strangers and they shall serve and they shall be afflicted 400 years A, B, C 400 years what are the three different ways you could read that I say it's three way ambiguous A, B, C 400 years the entire thing is total 400 or each one is 400 no I can't get each one the last one okay and also possibly good do it good now just do the other one no you can't skip over okay watch here's how you do it either you say here's what's going to happen A is going to happen comma pause breath wait and B is going to happen comma pause Breath. and C is going to happen 400 years then the 400 years goes on C alone right that's one way to read it another way to read it is here's what's going to happen A is going to happen comma pause breath wait and B and C are going to happen 400 years then the 400 years refers to B and C together or you could read it here's what's going to happen a and B and C 400 years then the 400 years goes on all three of them God wrote the verse to be three way ambiguous that gives God leeway there are three different ways that the verse could come true that doesn't mean that it's empty the fact that there are three ways it could come true doesn't mean it's empty there's an infinity of ways it can't come true you know if you ask me where's the book and I say well it's either on the bookshelf on the table or on the chair 
I didn't give you no information. You have to look in the bedroom. You have to look on the floor. Right? I just gave you three possibilities. Now, the Haggadah says, it could have been A, B, C, 400 years. A with B and C 400 years. Or A and B with C 400 years. There were options. Which way did it work out? The shortest possible way. A, B, C. Or A, B, and C all together were 400 years. You didn't have 400 years of servitude and you didn't have 400 years of, of affliction. You had 400 years of being a stranger in the land that didn't belong to them and then afterwards being enslaved and then afterwards being afflicted. That's the shortest way to work it out. That's what God calls a calculation. God calculated the end. Which way shall I apply this verse? <coughs> Longest, middle, or shortest? And because of the situation in Egypt that we were almost totally assimilated, we had almost totally lost it, as they say in colloquial contemporary English. So God calculated it to be the shortest possible time and took us out after only 210 years in the land of Egypt, of which about 85 or 90 years were servitude. And only part of that was really affliction, the above and beyond just having to serve. Okay? Now, for those who know the numerical values of the letters, God calculated the end. End in Hebrew is kate. What's the numerical value of kate? Huh? 190. Does 190 uh, somehow resonate here? 400 minus 190 is 210. That's the 210 that they were there. Right? Okay, it just just happens to work out, right? <laughs> just happens to work out. You with me? Okay, now the verse ends and also the nation they will serve shall I judge and then they'll go out with great possessions. Also the nation that they shall serve. Which nation is that? Egypt. Egypt. Somebody's awake. Need coffee. Right? Also the nation they shall serve I will judge. Now, I want you to know, um, I didn't really appreciate this until very recently. When we hear in English judge, we think a judgment could go either way. It, you know, it could be judged favorably or unfavorably, depending upon the, the circumstances. But the word judge in Hebrew, when it's a verb, I'm not talking about the noun, because the judge is in a period of judgment, but in other words, when judging, it's always negative. I don't exactly know why that's true, but, but it's true. din is always negative. It always means things come out bad. So what the verse is saying here is that I'm going to punish them. And the commentators all ask, why should you punish them? All right, you, God, have decreed that this should happen to the Jewish people. For whatever reason. And this nation, in this case the Egyptians, they're not designated by name here, turned out to be the Egyptians, are doing what you designated should happen to the Jewish people. Why should they be judged and punished? Okay. Now, Ramban asked this question. And he gives two, ans- two answers. And they're both interesting, and one of them is absolutely fundamental. One, he says, is true. They were carrying out what God decreed for the Jewish people, but their intention was not to do what God wants. Their intention was to protect their own interests. Which means that even if you do something which happens to be objectively correct, if your intentions are corrupt, 
you can be punished for. That's extremely important. Because a human being is not just arms, legs, you know, eyes, ears, feet, and hair. A human being is not a physical body flailing around. A being is a mind, an understanding, a goal, values. And the action might be objectively correct, but if it expresses corrupt goals and values, then that can be punished. Um, that's one understanding the Ramban says. The other understanding the Ramban says is that in this prediction, God says they'll be strangers of land that doesn't belong to them. They will serve and they will be afflicted. It doesn't say anything about murder. It doesn't about murder. But the Egyptians actually carried out murder. When did they do that? They killed the firstborn. They, not the firstborn. They killed they all the male boys. children, right? Moses, in fact, wasn't the firstborn. Right? They, they killed all male children. They threw them into the night. That wasn't written into the decree. So for the sake of the fact that they went beyond the decree, they could be held responsible and could be punished. Those are the two answers that Ramban gives. And what you should meditate on in your free time is the idea that the Egyptians with their free will could go beyond God's decree. They could do more than God's decree. That's something about free will that's I assume not. It's a nice question. That's a, that's, that's a nice, I, I assume that it's only for the part that, that, that goes beyond. I would assume that. Unless I had something that forced me to say the other, otherwise, I would assume it's only for the part that went beyond. But murder is pretty bad. Earlier on, you said that by like, or, you know, like, or something, the, the, the whole day. You know, you have the whole day to do it, but then once you go beyond, you're for the whole day. No, no. You're quoting what I said, but they're correctly, but there the point was that the mitzvah is to put it on once a day, so the failure is having a fillingless day. The definition of the failure relates to the day as a whole, but that's not a question of a bunch of, you know, for, uh, yeah. Um, just by just saying that their, their intentions were
at all. <coughs> That's the difference. Why does this paragraph Baruch Shomer um, uh, finish off with saying that afterwards they should be with great possessions? Like after 400 years of slavery, the last thing we want to think about really is these people who've been like making um, <coughs> their life very harsh, taking their possessions. It, it would be and then maybe better to finish like saying that afterwards they should leave free people. Or, um <coughs> okay. Uh, 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 Understand. I think, it's, first of all, it's not 400 years of slavery, right? We just said it was, uh, slavery was, was about 85 years, 90 years. Um, I don't want to let this get the facts on the table straight. Now, uh, okay, you started saying it one way, and then you shifted. I think the second way is, is better. I can imagine very well that people who were forced into slavery <coughs> would say, listen, when I leave, I'm taking all your gold. You guys owe it to me. I, we've been working for three generations for nothing. But... The, the question is not why were they interested in the, in the money <coughs> the truth is they weren't interested in the money that's another stage but one thing at a time the question is if you're going to describe the results that's not the chief result that's your point that's your point yes I, I think that's right and I think it's really a, a continuation of the idea that I'm going to judge this nation I'm going to judge the Egyptians and not only am I going to judge them but the Jews are also going to take, take away their money it's not so much a statement about the Jews as it is a statement about the Egyptians. On the surface, anyway. A little deeper, there are two things to be said. God says to Moses, twice if I remember correctly, please tell the Jews, take the Egyptians' money. And they say, why do you say please? Please always means that you know there's some special poignancy to the request, and there's perhaps some resistance to it. So, um, the commentators say, the Midrash says, um, God says to, to Moses, tell them to take the, the Egyptians' possessions so that that Zokane, that old man, meaning Abraham, won't say, ah, <coughs> you made a promise to me and you fulfilled the promise that they're going to suffer, but you didn't fulfill the promise they're going to have, they're going to go out with great possessions. So, make sure that they take <coughs> And according to the commentators, he said, he said it twice because the, the Jewish people said, look, we don't want money. We're going out and we're going out to receive the Torah at Sinai from God. We don't want this exodus to be polluted with a materialistic gain. They were on that level of idealism that they didn't want it to be polluted with a materialistic gain. Right? So God says to us, I know that. I know that. And I... <coughs> You know, I, I'm happy with that. I tre- cherish that. I, I respect that. Tell them to take it anyway. Now, what happened to all that gold and other stuff? Gold and cups? Well, okay, but... but <laughs> it was used for the tabernacle. Right? So, gold and silver is very important. Gold and silver is very important. Because God wants us to use the gold and the silver of the world to serve him. So you can't turn your back on gold and silver. You, know? you can't turn your back on the physical world. That belongs to other mistaken religious ideas. For us, all the world is a is raw material to be able to use to serve God. So he says, listen, it not, will not make it impure if you take the gold. Because if you take the gold and use it for the tabernacle, that makes it even more pure. You show how gold can be used so that's, I think that's what's really going on. Yeah? 
He's putting you in there. <coughs> Why not be angry, upset, critical of God? And if we aren't, as of course we aren't, because we recognize that the oppression, the slavery, the affliction was necessary for some ultimate goal, for some ultimate end, why don't we thank him for that? Why don't we thank him for that? There are deep, deep ideas. Deep ideas here. You know, I'll, I'll leave you to think about this over the weekend. But uh, there are deep ideas here. See if I can add one other thing. Um, I was just, <laughs> you know, it's all in the present tense. It's all in the present tense. Okay, I have one minute. I'll leave you one other thing to think about. In the next page, now I'm going to start this analysis of the verses and the actual telling of the story of the Exodus. Say, Ulamad, go out and learn. Now, you've learned a little Gemara. Someone in the Gemara wants to establish a point. What is the way he invites the others to pay attention? Tashma. Tashma. What does Tashma mean? Coming here. Come and hear. Very good. That's the Babylonian Talmud. <coughs> the Jerusalem Talmud has a different phrase. Tachazi. Come and see. Hmm. Okay. The Zohar covers. And the other, other uh, is Tachami. Which also means come and see. So the Babylonian Talmud says come and hear. The Jerusalem Talmud and the, and the Zohar say, come and see. And the Agatha says, go out and learn. Those are three different directions. Three different conceptions of what you're doing. Right? So I told you so many times, everything in Islam, every word, <laughs> every word is calculated. Every word has a whole world associated with it. So think about that over the weekend. Ask people. See what you get. I'll be interested to hear what you, what you get from people. Why do you have come here? come and see and go out and learn as the three different introductions to analyzing material. Okay? Good job.